1: Good morning. It's one minute past nine. You're tuned to one oh two point seven three triple R, time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm Angeline Charles. How are you, Angeline? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. Is this your first Marinara first? No second. Oh it is. Yep. I should know that. <laughs> That's <all> right. <laughs> it's a long time, between a week or two. I'm a bit sleep deprived this morning. We had some lovely friends over last night. Big shout out to PK and Sophie. I know you're listening. Oh, uh, lovely. They, they kept our neighbours awake till about two in the morning. So after, I'll no. run around the street doing apologies when I get home. Everyone was probably out watching White Nights. Oh, so. true. Yep. No need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, thank you very much, Tim. Uh, great vital bits as always. It was. I, uh, I put... It on as I was driving in, and um, had that. I, I love the fact that every now and then Tim kind of chucks in a track. And if you, oh God, is this Tim? Is someone else in this morning? Yeah, keeps us all guessing. I do need to
2: know though, and maybe some other listeners might need to know did you work out the coffee? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we didn't, but um, is that because
1: Kent had drunk at all <laughs> Got to the bottom of both
2: cups? Oh, I still can't work it out. <laughs>
1: Kent's very wide now. <laughs> <laughs> Kent came to our rescue and if you've just tuned in, yeah, we had a bit of a I, I, um, a bit of a coffee mix-up. Tim and I couldn't work out which one was the soy and which one was the um, the cow milk. And uh, I have a bit of a dairy issue, so I didn't want to risk it. So um, anyway, there you go. That's been our drama this morning. Shall we get into the program? <laughs> We should. All things wet and salty. We're shortly going to be joined in studio by Carl Gardner. He is a an artist uh, and has a really interesting story to tell. Uh, Surf based art is what he does, and he's got a great exhibition coming up called Beats Working. I'm all for that. Cool. Yeah. We'll find. Well, I think the the title's self explanatory, but we can uh, we can talk about that. Uh, I think there might be like a double meaning in, in Beats Working. Anyway, we'll talk to Carl shortly. Um, Normally, in the middle of the program, we have a little segment where we cover some community based uh, activities that are going on. Um, all of the good people from Dive to You are either busy underwater or off doing other things this morning. So, we were hoping to have a great sponge <coughs> transplant update. That's good news, though, isn't it? It's it obviously is. good diving weather this morning. Yeah, I think so.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not great for radio, but anyway. <laughs>
1: That's right. But we've got some other things we can talk about. Then we're going to across to, I think, Ocean Grove, uh, maybe Bowen Heads, we'll find out, to speak with Lizzie Doyle. And Lizzie's going to be talking to us about a, a wonderful event called Wild Women on Water. This is the second event that's taken place in... Uh, promoting women in surfing in particular, but also raising money for a really great cause. So uh, they had an event last year, uh, which was their first one, and it was so successful they're doing it all again this year. So if you um, maybe listened and thought, oh, I'd love to do something like that or be involved uh, or, you know, just want to go down and help out. Sounds awesome. Sounds good. And then, Angeline, you've got some stuff. I am going to talk about uh,
2: an article, a news article that I saw on Friday about... um What are the impacts of salmon farms on seals? So um, I thought that was pretty interesting, especially in the
1: wake of uh, the Four Corners report last year. So Mm. we'll hear more about that later. Very good. Excellent. Let's do some weather. Today, going to be 19 degrees, cloudy, high chance of showers, most likely in the afternoon and evening, 80% chance of showers. So get your washing in before lunchtime. (laughs) (laughs) Chance of thunderstorm or hail in the afternoon and evening. Wow. It's going to really uh, dump on us. Winds... Northwesterly, uh, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour, turning west to uh, 35 kilometres now in the morning and then decreasing. So, um, yeah, maybe not such a good diving day after all. Well, that's maybe well, that's the why they're out now early, get, get, get in yeah. before the change. That's it. Tomorrow 20 in a shower or two and then uh, warming up 25. Oh, wow, 25 on Tuesday, 32 on Wednesday, 25 on Thursday and 23 on Friday. So it's going to be a lovely week. Yeah, do you think the weather gods have got that
2: wrong a little bit? It's not on the weekend. That's when the the good weather's supposed to come.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise it's too hard to go to work. Although at least what night was dry? Well, at least it was dry. It was pretty cool though. I certainly put the heater on last night. Did you get out there and get amongst it? I I didn't. No, I sort of didn't realise it was on this weekend early enough to be prepared. I'm uh, I'm really impressed. I quite like waking up on Sunday morning after White Night. I'm going to go one year. I haven't been yet, and um, and watching all of the social media, all yes. the Facebook postings yep. come in, and and for you know. I feel like I've kind of half been there in spirit, although not really. Some people take some great photos. Thank you, Adam Edmonds, if
2: you're awake. <laughs> and and uh, it's great uh, living it through his photos. So yeah. I love looking yeah, at Facebook friends and seeing what the the photos have taken. It's awesome.
1: And there were a couple of uh, marine-themed uh, contributions yeah, to White Night. There was one at the State Library, um, which looked pretty spectacular, called Sea Dragon's Lair. Did you see? A I, bit about I heard this one? about it. I didn't get to see it. Was was Cherie Maris's production? Was she it? She was uh, with two other people it. as well. Yep. Yeah, Lisa Greenaway and John Power as well. So participation and enlightenment. Um, I gather that's the oh no Sea Dragon's Lair is what it was called. So that sounds like it was pretty amazing. If you got to see it, send us some photos via yeah. our Facebook page. Yep. We'd love to see them. And there was a big jellyfish in Alexander there was. Gardens yeah. too. That looked good. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, should we do... Have you got some news? I do have some news, yes. Um,
2: in Hawaii, uh, legislators are going to introduce a bill this week to ban chemical sunscreens. You know there's two types of sunscreens, one the blocking and then the other is the chemical. Um, and chemical sunscreens that contain oxybenzone and auxin- mm-hmm. um actually are quite detrimental to corals. They've found that they're killing their corals uh, and they'd like to have have that banned they could also I guess be promoting to people not to wear them in the water because I suppose those sunscreens they're a bit nicer to wear uh, might have a use outside of um, being worn in the in the sea um, but they've they've decided that they, they really need to do this and that it's it is having such a large impact on their coral reefs and that was a really interesting story that I actually only read this morning but to think that um, another way that we're impacting on coral reefs
1: and, and the oceans by the sunscreens that we wear. Mm. So what would be the alternative? Wearing obviously something without those two chemicals in it, is it more of a physical barrier rather than a chemical blocker?
2: Well, the other type of sunscreen that's got the, the, the blocking particles. Right. Um, but I suppose this ultimately covering up is, and even I've... I um, think Cancer Council say that is is covering up, is the ultimate sort of protection when you go out into the sun. Um, Yeah, so that was really interesting. I never thought put together that sunscreen and coral reefs was was not a match, but there you go. There you go. So we want
1: to focus on the slip and the slap and less on the slop. (laughs) That's right. People out there with anyone under the age of thirty-five might need to explain that. Yep, that's right. To anyone under the age of thirty-five, was a, was a good promotion. I should probably bring it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was talking about that um, with some friends the other day about these great campaigns. The other one with um, Norm with the Life Be In It campaign, and also the um, uh, Do the Right Thing. Do you remember that one? I do. From yes. back in the seventies, yep. this was a um, an anti-litter campaign with the And so, not you know diverting too much from topic, but uh, about. Just being really careful about where you put your rubbish, and also just where you where rubbish sort of inadvertently ends up. Yes, in yep. in the stormwater system, and then ultimately out in our marine environments as well. Yeah, mm. there is a few programs around that with the uh, stencils on the on the um, drains. That's right, around town. Those hard hitting media campaigns, though, with something a bit quirky and a little jingle that people kind of c- keep in their heads and walk around. Yep, earworms. It'd mm, be good to see those coming back sometime. It would, Maybe. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> They're also very expensive to produce. <laughs> I do get that part of it as well. Anyway, you've got another one there. I do have another one. Um, sort of also
2: along the, the same topic, I don't know if you saw this article this week about <clears throat> some researchers had a look at uh, the Mariana Trench. They sent some equipment down there to collect tiny crustaceans known as amphipods and tested them and found that they had very high levels of... Uh, pops, which are persistent organic pollutants, otherwise known as um, PCBs. Mm. Uh, in fact, they had levels 50 times higher than crabs that were found in paddy fields fed by the Laho River in China, which is one of the most polluted rivers in China. Uh, and so I guess this is kind of sad news, but discovery that, in fact, that one of the least visited places on the earth by humans is, in fact, one of the most
1: polluted. Wow. Yeah. How's it getting there?
2: Well, they're just big sinks, and they think that the, the theory is that the uh, chemicals and the PCBs are just uh, just ending up in the bottom of these trenches, just by nature of them being the lowest point, mm. um, and they're just big sinks collecting all the pollution. Yeah, and uh, of
1: course, the, the significant P in pop is per- persistent, and persistent, so once this right. stuff gets in...
2: Yeah, and I suppose you, you remember too that a lot of uh, larger marine animals which collect these chemicals in their in their bodies in their fat and when they die they fall to the the bottom of the ocean so there's sort of like a direct transit as well through those animals and then they're eaten by uh, the smaller lower dwelling animals and and uh, collected again through that way so I thought it was pretty disturbing news. Oh it's very disturbing. A place that we we hardly ever visit um, and know so little
1: about and yet we're having a really large impact on it. So important that That research continues so that we're aware of these facts.
2: It is, yeah. Pretty difficult, considering they're 11 kilometres underwater. That's right. It's a pretty difficult place to visit.
1: Real news... Not alternate facts. No, <laughs> no alternative facts there. <laughs> now, Carl Gardner has been known around the music industry for years in the dry corporate worlds of strategic marketing, corporate relationships and sponsorships and promotions. However, counterbalanced with the boardroom was a surfboard and an artistic side that's now combined and led to Carl's first arts exhibition called Beats Working. It's a collection of his surf-based art that captures a vibrancy of sun-drenched, sun-drenched landscapes and sparkling oceans on oh, no, you, I'd fall over that one. Beats working runs from the 24th of February till the 5th of March. To tell us more, we're now welcoming to Triple R surf artist Carl Gardner. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. Hey, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Did I describe you correctly as a surf artist?
0: Uh, well, I'd say an artist or maybe a frustrated creative where surf's definitely been one of the inspirations as well as uh, probably music and and nature.
1: Um, and... So I uh, mentioned briefly about your life in the music industry. Was was um, hoping, can you talk a little bit about that and that meeting point with the coast? How did that all come about?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, um, I guess I fell in love with surfing as a young teenager. Started off in Port Phillip Bay in 35 knots southwesterly winds and a footy jumper, um, Essendon jumper.
1: Nice. Uh, You're very thought, welcome here, Carl. <laughs> yes, I thought you'd like that one, Bron.
0: Uh, we compared notes earlier. Um, but... Uh, I got into the music industry, I actually lucked into the music industry in a sense in the early 80s after university. Worked with Glenn Wheatley and in the early days of FM radio um, and then ended up working uh, for a long period of time with Michael Gudinski within the Mushroom Group. Um, uh, as the title of my exhibition uh, mentions, uh, I couldn't say that was a real job. It was beach working in the music industry, but I loved it and uh, continue to. But I found the music industry just um, really exciting on a whole lot of levels, but also really all-consuming. It's not a nine-to-five job, as I'm sure you all know. So uh, I found that my uh, pursuit of surfing was a fantastic way to uh, to have a break from it when I could get away. And similarly, uh, some of the great experiences that I had, both surfing and and engrossed in uh, nature and music, were really good inspiration for art and uh, that was part of the story
1: so uh when did the painting come in so obviously and we hear this a lot with surfing being this real um it's a therapy particularly for uh, people who are working in really high stressed jobs and careers and there's it's that escape but that connection with nature as well and that kind of that time where you're completely away you're just in that world
0: absolutely yeah
1: um, when did the art come in?
0: Well, the art, I, I was one of those people, I, I i think this might be common for a lot. I was okay with art, say, during my high school years. I had to make the decision around uh, my late teens as to whether to pursue a career as maybe an artist or something else. So I, um, I decided to pursue a career as a businessman. So I did a commerce degree at Melbourne University and always said, I'll keep my art as a hobby. I did for a little bit, but then when I first got into the music industry... Um, it was a long hours and I didn't just find the time to paint that, that much and then thankfully, I think in the early 90s, I really just started painting again. As you said earlier, I found it fantastic therapy mm. as much as anything and I was obviously pursuing my surfing throughout that time and, uh, and just found that it not only provided great escape but um, I think it provides you the opportunity to have the best of both worlds and I've been fortunate enough to, to travel a lot overseas uh, over the years and one thing that I believe a lot of people travel and come back to Australia say it's the best country in the world I think it is but one of the things that's fantastic is you can live near a big city or in a big city like Melbourne which is one of the greatest cities in the world on arts, culture and all these levels and then jump in your car in two hours and be in the middle of nowhere and in my case the middle of nowhere down the coast so I think the ability to indulge in both those worlds if you can is fantastic so for me I took full advantage of that and definitely the um, immersing myself in the ocean and nature inspires feel-good moments and you try to capture them later on through your art. Mm. Certainly I did.
1: Uh, West Coast or East Coast?
0: Uh, interesting. I started both? Both. Uh, now, now South East Coast. I started um, surfing after Port Phillip Bay um, down in Western Port Bay, hassling mum and dad to drive us down to Point Leo. Yep. Later graduated to a, a prefab bolt-together hut in the old Torquay camping ground. So I had my West Coast days in the late teens, then spent half my life growing up on the Mornington Peninsula at a friend's house in Gowrie. But then about 15 years ago, I rediscovered Wilson's Prom in South East Gippsland. And I'm fortunate enough to have a four-wheel drive camper van, so most of my trips down the coast become overnight trips. It's a bit of a longer drive down South East Gippsland, but such a pretty part of the world and uh, not as crowded from a surfing point of view either.
1: So whereabouts down near the prom do you surf?
0: Uh, it depends on the swell and the wind, but anywhere from um, Waratah Bay and Sandy Point down to Norman Bay. And um, just a beautiful part of the world to yeah. be able to uh, enjoy. In fact, I often say to people, quite apart from surfing, just some of the views of the prom sitting out on your surfboard are pretty special.
1: Oh, and unique too. It's Absolutely. not It's not the sort of thing that you can, you know, hop on a tourist bus and go and get that perspective.
0: Well, I don't want to sound like... I'm a consultant for Tourism Victoria, but I'm constantly amazed how many people live in Melbourne and Victoria have never been down Wilson's prom. Mm. And as I said, I've travelled a lot. That is as good a national park as anywhere in the world, if not one of the best.
1: Oh, it's absolutely magnificent. I've had that perspective from a dive boat, though, not from a surfboard. But, um, but at least I get what you're saying when you're actually out on the water and you're looking inland. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So let's talk about your art and the exhibition. Um, so how would you describe your style of coastal art?
0: Uh, Well, a a friend came up with a great name for my artwork and they uh, call it assemblages. So some of my artwork's pretty standard, canvas with um, a a range of mediums, either oil paints generally or enamel. But also um, I love being a beachcomber. And you walk along some beaches, I try to get to relatively deserted ones, and you find amazing flotsam and jetsam washed up on the beach for me, driftwood in particular... So sometimes I'm inspired by that in terms of what I visualise in my paintings, but other times I actually collect it and find ways to attach it to the canvas, or in cases build the canvas around it, although in that case the canvas might be made out of vinyl fabric. Um, I guess I just describe my art as as capturing feel-good moments. I I find uh, the sense of well-being after a surf is quite incredible, Uh, it stays with you for quite a while, often until the next surf later in the day, and... um, I often would come in, have a sketch pad, just just make a few little sketches that are mainly reference points and then try to turn it into something when I get back home. Mm. Uh, I think I was also influenced a bit um, by some of the surf posters from the era when I was a young teen. Morning of the Earth, I still think, is one of the seminal surf movies and the soundtrack. And a lot of the posters of that era um, were bright. They showed a surfer in sort of a bit of an adventurous mode, hunting the four corners of the world for waves so I think it 's that mainly with bright, bold colors and and uh, try to uh, create a sense of appreciation of nature and and just having a good time.
1: That sounds amazing. It's interesting you use the word assemblage. That's a, a, te- a formal technical term that ecologists use to describe the plants and animals that live in the, I know at least in the intertidal zone, but but elsewhere oh, as right. well. So there you go. You've inadvertently used the ecological term.
0: <laughs> well, a point you made earlier, Brian, about you know, your view of the prom. I, yeah. I think people that are involved with anything in the oceans, whether they're surfers, divers, um, seamen, uh, it. It's just a really strong connection that mm-hmm. I, and, and I've met lots of different people surfing of all sorts of uh, backgrounds, ages, etc. You can just sense straight away there's a common bond and I suspect it's the same. I've never done scuba diving, done a lot of swimming and uh, snorkeling, but there is a bond that forms, I think.
1: There is. And you get this sense of um, responsibility and, and a, like a stewardship, custodianship urge to do whatever you can to protect and improve. I think Abs- once absolutely. you have that connection, that's there for life, isn't it? Really?
0: Well, I, I think you do. You become a guardian, and and I know myself. I uh, I get a real sense of disappointment sometimes when you walk along a pristine beach and you see an empty can or a bit of rubbish that's obviously there that someone could have easily avoided leaving there. Mm. And you do you feel like uh, they're intruding into this environment or damaging someone necessarily?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Tell us about a few of your pieces and let's talk about the exhibition because we sure. want to try and get some people um, there.
0: Well, I've got a, a combination um, of... A lot of them inspired, as I said earlier, by, by particular experience. So I've got one uh, piece called Morning of the Earth which really pays homage to that movie and to the, the visual references of surf movies. Uh, I often find myself uh, pursuing what I call Morning of the Earth moments because mm. I think that movie captured a time and every young kid's dream of jumping in the car and going up for adventures up north. Um, Then I've got a number of works that are directly linked to songs and the lyrics. I've been and continue to be a huge fan of lyricists and songwriters. So uh, Tiny Dancer is an example. That's influenced three of my different works and I've got a a female character in my works that I call Tiny Dancer that amongst other things... uh, Is she a She could be. Yep. She could be. She's fighting the glass ceiling in the music industry. Right. Um, She probably (laughs) finds the time to go surfing, but I haven't fitted a surfboard in. in, But that's a good idea, Bron. She might be (laughs) in the next painting. Excellent. Um, Then I've got... I'm a huge Hendrix fan, so there's two songs specifically about... Sorry, two paintings specifically about Hendrix songs, um, Little Wing and uh, The Wing Choir's Mary, and another one called Burning Desire, inspired by his lyrics. I I feel at times like I'm... um, I'm borrowing a lot from the music industry and from musicians, but as we're surfing, the way a good song makes you feel, or a, or a really special live music experience, uh, if you feel that way, you want to. In my case, I want to try and capture it, so I've tried to do that with with a number of works. Others that are more broadly about nature are, are assemblages of bits of driftwood and and other things that have been shaped by Mother Nature, as, as I put it, and then somewhat embellished by my artistic pursuits.
1: Excellent. So, details of the exhibition. Let's okay, get some people uh, there.
0: Yeah, it's on at a great um, great community art space in St Kilda called Ford Diverse. It's uh, located at 118A Carlisle Street, St Kilda, just opposite St Kilda Town Hall, above the veggie restaurant. And it starts uh, next Friday, the 24th of Feb, goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, then opens up again the following Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, finishing on the 5th of March, um, it's free and uh, it's really interesting, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely get the sense that that's the case. <laughs> Excellent. We're putting, uh, Angeline, as we speak, is putting those details up on our Facebook page. So um, make sure you get down there. I'm going to come down and have a look.
0: Thank you very much. I'd love
1: to come and, and check it all out for myself. So, Beat's working. Um, uh, I haven't got the details in front of me <laughs> because Angeline's using them to update. Thanks, Angeline. Sorry. No, no, that's my bad. Um, so, yes, four diverse, um, number four, uh, diverse, D-V-E-R-S-E, level one, 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 uh, one, eight, A, Carlisle Streets and Kilda, but you've given the best, you've given a far better description. I couldn't help myself. Opposite, the town, opposite the town hall. Excellent. Hey, thanks, Carl. All the very best.
0: Thank you very much. And, but- and if I can just say a big thanks to... To you guys, not just for supporting my exhibition, but for supporting music in this great music city.
1: Thanks, Carl, and uh, thank you. Now, this time last year, we caught up with some special women promoting a special event with a very special cause. Wild Women on Water kicked off uh well we thought last year we're about to be corrected about that and we're fine with that too it has a dual aim of promoting women in surfing and also to raise much needed funds for a great cause it's great news that it's all happening again this year to tell us all about wild women on water 2017 a very big welcome on the phone to co-organizer lizzie doyle good morning lizzie good morning now uh it's not the second year (laughs) you guys have been doing this for a while
3: yeah, so this is our seventh year. Um it started back in two thousand and ten. Um, one of our local surfers, em, Emma Webb, started up
1: the um the competition. Have you been involved each year?
3: Um, this is my second year of being involved in the event.
1: Great. And I mentioned earlier I thought we were crossing to uh, Ocean Grove, but no, you're in Janjak. I'm in the beautiful Janjak. <laughs> nice, excellent. Uh how's the surf? We should get a
3: today is big, pumping
1: so people can get down there and check it out if they want to if they're they're experienced too we should um, make sure we mention that all right now a big shout out uh, to your partner in crime Heidi um she joined us last year this year she's caught up with some uh, unanticipated matters so big shout out to Heidi yes that's right um for our listeners who missed it last year uh when we spoke with Heidi where did the idea come from so for wild women on water
3: so Wild Women on Water started just just as a way of creating connections. It's something you guys were talking about earlier. Um, so just getting women into the water together to celebrate being women. It's held around the same time every year as part of the International Women's Day. Um, And so we try to keep it at this time of year to sort of build on the International Women's Day movement and to do it on a really local level. So to get women from the area celebrating their love of the ocean um, and hanging out together and, yeah, just just creating a really great vibe and having a really good day. Now, you surf... Lizzie? Yes.
1: Yep. Yes. How have you found that things have changed um, over time, particularly in terms of surf culture? Because that's one thing we've been detecting over the, you know, the 20 years that we've been broadcasting is there really is a shift in, in surf culture in particular, and I'm sure Dr. Surf, he's probably listening at the moment, would agree with that as well. And, um, and the, the rise of the role of women in surfing, but how that's kind of influencing surf culture as a role, as a, as a, you know, a general thing as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's definitely 15. I mean, I've, I'm actually quite a new a newbie to surfing and that it's probably I've probably only been in the water for about oh, maybe 17 years. But um,
1: hang on, but Sev- my... seventeen years and you call yourself a newbie? Well, I think I think I'm still a newbie. <laughs> I don't think I'm good enough to be
3: to be an old hander. <laughs>
1: wow, that's very <laughs> but, impressive. Um,
3: but just from the days that I used to paddle out and I'd be the only up in Burley Heads in Queensland, I'd be one of the very few girls in the water. Um, to now, when you go out, particularly locally here in Janjuk, um and around Possos and Barwon Heads, you go out and there's often there's often more than one woman in the water at the moment, which, which is great. Um, we're more accepted and um we're more comfortable in the water as well i think and and that's part of that's part of why we want this event to happen so that so that girls can feel that they're supported in the water and it's not just that macho environment
0: mm. um
1: let's talk a little bit about bethany so this is the charity yeah. that you raise money for tell us a bit about bethany yeah.
3: So Bethany is um, basically a women's crisis centre. So we, we chose Bethany to raise money for just because they're, they were founded in Geelong right back in 1868 um, and their aim is basically to strengthen communities and they provide education and support services um, to both women and men, um, particularly with a focus on family violence and sexual assault um, services within our region. And they focus on educating perpetrators as well as supporting the women and families,
1: which is great. It's great and uh, what a wonderful uh, cause for your fundraising but a wonderful way to raise funds as well. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about last year's event because, uh, as I mentioned, we spoke with Heidi. We didn't follow up. How did it go? She sent some amazing um, footage through uh, to yeah. us. Yeah, we'll pop that up if if that's okay on, on our Facebook page. So, um, yeah, our listeners can have a look. Um, talk us through last year's event.
3: Oh, it was just fantastic. I mean, we're really lucky. We're so supported by the community here. So we had free yoga on the beach at 7 o'clock um, for an hour, which is just a lovely way. I think the sun's coming up at around 6.30, quarter 7.00. So it's a lovely way to start the event. Um, and then it just it just kicked off. We had over over 50 competitors, which was just fantastic. We had heaps of spectators cheering on from the sidelines. Um, we had all sorts of crazy events. So we had the the normal competitive events. So we have the age groups for under 18, the open, and the over 40, and they're um, all longboard events. So. So then, for those that aren't into competition um, and want to just come out in the water and have a bit of fun at Poso's, which is an amazing break, they can join in in the mungle, which is an, an any board, any size board, maybe a boogie board or a, dare I say it, a sup, um, or a short board or a long board. And then we also have the expression session, which is just about people getting all dressed up and going crazy in the water and just having a heap of fun and catching party waves. So... Last year we had great music, we had some pretty funny commentators on the mic, um, heaps of food and coffee and it was just a beautiful, it was like, it was like a festival type atmosphere, um, just everyone just celebrating, I don't know, the ocean and womanness and all those sorts of things.
1: Fantastic. And it works so well, you're doing it all again this year and you That's mentioned, right. and, yeah, sorry,
3: no, yeah, we couldn't hold back. We couldn't <laughs> not do it again. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. And you've got other activities as well. So you mentioned yoga and massage. So there's all, all kinds of stuff going on down there. Um, and tell us a bit about POSOS. You've just mentioned POSOS. For for the uninitiated, uh, it's a, tell us about POSOS.
3: Well, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but I think most people in the surfing community know POSOS. Um, so it's sort of between Brimley and Torquay and it's a um a beautiful peeling right-hand reef break um it's it's mostly surfed by longboarders and uh, because of that it is, if you're on a shortboard, it is a little bit more challenging to get a wave there. But um, it's just this beautiful, crumbling, breaking right-hand wave that you can just, on on great conditions, you, you just can't really surf on a wave that's that's more fun than that. Um, it's a pretty long, bumpy road to get out there, so you want to make sure that the car's not going to fall to pieces um, as you're driving out on that track. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's just such a beautiful environment. We're really lucky this year that we've got... Um, Karina, one of the local indigenous women, is coming out at eight o'clock to, to do a welcome to country for us. Okay. And that area is actually really, um, a really important indigenous significance. So it's actually, it's actually really fantastic to have her coming along, um, doing the welcome to country. And it, it just sort of solidifies why we're why we're doing this event and the area that we're doing it in, and just makes it um it just makes it feel really good to be to be doing it in that
1: place. Oh, you've just got everything covered, and it, it just is going to be okay. a, a, one, a wonderful <laughs> event. Um, so Saturday the fourth of March. Um, That's right. And if people want to, you presume you want people to register first rather than just rocking up. What's the best way that they can do that?
3: Yeah, definitely. We need we need to get registrations in so that we can get everything drawn up. So there's three ways to get in touch. Um, you can go to our website, which is surfcoastlongboardclub.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and that's Surf Coast, which is one word, longboarders, which is one word, and club. So Surf Coast Longboarders Club on Facebook. Um, or you can um, send us an email as well, which I'll give you that the email details and you can pop them online
1: perhaps. Fantastic. Right. We'll put links to um, both your Facebook page and, uh, and that website on our Facebook page so people can check that out for themselves. Hey, have a great, Excellent. have an awesome event, Lizzie. Really amazing. And um, we'll catch up with you again um, down the track, but definitely this time next year because uh, it's such a wonderful thing that you're doing. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. No worries. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your support. Oh, as always. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Lizzie. All right. Thanks, Bron. Okay, Bye. Okay, catch up. Bye for now. Lizzie Doyle there, Wild Women on Water, and we'll put some links through that on our Facebook page. We certainly will. Excellent. Right, Angeline. I just
2: want to report back, uh, report about an article that I read in The Australian on Thursday, uh, written by Matthew Denham. Uh, about the number of seals that are relocated from salmon farming pens in Tasmania. Uh, So the Australian obtained some information under the Right of Information laws in Tasmania that show how many seals are in fact being relocated uh, from pens. So the, the practice is that around... Uh, salmon farming pens, aquaculture sea pens, the seals can be sea- seized and relocated several hundred kilometres away. So these seals, that get into the pens or are they just kind of hassling from outside? Hassling around the pens. They may have gotten into the pens. This is from my understanding of of uh, reading this article and several aquaculture websites. Because, of
1: course, from a seal's perspective, this is a board.
2: Oh, would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yay. you don't have to work too hard. Look at all these fish in the net. I'll oh, just right. have to chew through and I've got them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is a bit bit, bit like Disneyland for seals. Um, and <laughs> The happiest place on earth. <laughs> well, perhaps not quite though. But Yeah. Um, so the seals are generally tran- are like, translocated from the southern coast of Tasmania to the north coast. Uh, they can get quite stressed during this. I imagine it's quite mm. stressful for animals that aren't used to being transported, being in those conditions. Um, and they they can – some can die during the relocation and they can also uh, swim directly back to the farm
1: after release. So I think you'd have to question there how effective this method is. Well, of course, you're not just taking them away from the, the food source. You're taking them away from their, their own um, – their, 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 their colonies. Their families, their colonies. Yeah, colonies is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yep.
2: So they also have a three strikes policy which is regulated by the government and uh, which is the the Tasmanian state government I presume Uh, and individual repeat offenders uh, are given, it can be had a strike marks against them but it's interesting to how they know the seals individually but perhaps they're tagged or they've got scars that make them um, able to be identified and excessively aggressive seals can be euthanised Right. So the data that was retrieved under that request showed that there were 45 strikes against seals. That means there were 45 incidents recorded against various seals and four seals over this four-month period that the information was received were killed. Um, so salmon farming, as you probably know, is, is a big industry for Tasmania and uh, made me have a look a little bit more. So I had a look at a couple of the... The, there's three main producers down there. There's Tassel and Huon and Petuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at the, the Tassel website from the 1st of July, so they report some of this stuff on their, on their website from the 1st of July 2016 to the 31st of December 2016, they relocated 924 <gasps> seals.
1: Oh, my God.
2: That's a huge number, isn't wow. it? Wow. Now, that's a big spike from previous years. Uh, in the 2015 year, they relocated 145. In 2014, there were 90. And in 2013, there was 144. So I didn't see any information that explained why there's been such a, a spike in relocations mm. and or whether we're talking about the same seals or... Nine hundred and twenty four individual seals. But I thought this is a really interesting article to tell listeners about mm. about what is actually goes into
1: making farm salmon. It's a it is. It's really interesting. Because it, it goes beyond, you know, you think oh yeah, you can have out a big sea pen and you grow salmon and and then we eat them and you kind of think about the the effects and we hear a lot about the effects of the uh, fish meal that are used to feed the fish and how they that collects on the bottom and creates can create problems with water um, and and the risk for um, cyanobacteria blooms and all that kind of stuff. But we don't think about this is a whole other side to it, isn't
2: it? It is a whole other side to it. And no, I never realised it, it was quite so um, you know there's quite so many seals being relocated and it was mainly from that southeast Tassie area so they have some pens on the west coast but it's from this southeastern Tasmanian spot that the seals are being relocated and you know something I thought was important to note that they have a, a W, Tassel have a WWF which is a Wild, World Wildlife Fund partnership mm. um, and they've got an Str- Aquaculture Stewardship Council certification. So one of the other companies, Huon, didn't relocate any seals since August 2016. Now they've spent about $90 million upgrading their pens so that they've uh, got these special barriers. at More seal-proof. Seal more oh. seal-proof. Um, although in 2016 they did have five seal deaths, which was presumably, there's no explanation on the website, but presumably from seals um, drowning mm. after they're getting stuck in the pens and they're trying to chew through. So because they've upgraded their equipment, they're not seeing... Uh, any seals, they're not needing to relocate any. Um, and before that, for that uh, 1st of July to August, they'd relocated only 20 seals, so quite different numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Petuna um, didn't relocate any, and they had two deaths for that year. And there was any information about what it, why those seals had died. But I think that's a story that will come out more. Uh, in the media soon, and and should, I think. I think it's important to note what what goes into uh, making farm salmon. That's
1: right. Something beyond bycatch. Something beyond bycatch, that's right. I need to look at that. Thanks, Angeline. Yeah, you're welcome. That was terrific. We'll catch you down at Baja in Rye in two weeks' time. Correct, you will. Looking forward to it. Uh, on next week's program John's going to be in uh, so uh, and Rex um, thanks to our guest today Lizzie Doyle and to Carl Gardner thank you Kent who's been amazing on the panel for us and stay tuned for Therapy. we'll catch you next week brought
0: to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences Triple R sponsors This has been a podcast from 3 rr 102.7 FM in Melbourne truly independent community radio